0: Turn in your Bibles to 2 Chronicles chapter 24. We are going through the lives of some of the kings of Judah, the southern country. Israel originally was one big country. They had a civil war, sort of split, one-third, two-thirds. We're looking at kings in the lower third, Judah, which are, that's the country that stayed loyal, roughly, to God. They stayed loyal to to David's, David's line, and so they had kings Who were David's sons and grandsons and those sorts of things. And we're asking ourselves the question as we read these stories what would it look like for me to be more committed to Jesus this year than I was last year? What does it look like for me to be more committed to Christ in 2023 than I was in 2022? And today we're going to look at King Joash. Uh, I'm just going to read chapter 24, which is about his reign. If you get a chance sometime, flip back a few chapters and read like 21, 22, 23. Um, he's seven years old when he becomes king, and wow, the first six years of his life are tumultuous. Uh, it's well worth reading. So check it out sometime later, or you know, if the sermon starts to get boring, you've you're already got the passage open, you just flip back a chapter, and we're always talking about context, so you're just getting the context. But I'm going to read to you Second Chronicles chapter 24, so follow along with me. Joash was seven years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 40 years. His, mother, his mother's name was Zibiah. She was from Beersheba. Joash did what was right in the eyes of the Lord all the years of Jehoiada the priest. Jehoiada chose two wives for him, and he had sons and daughters. Sometime later, Joash decided to restore the temple of the Lord. He called together the priests and Levites and said to them, go to the towns of Judah and collect the money due annually from all Israel to repair the temple of your God. Do it now. But the Levites did not act at once. Therefore, the king summoned Jehoiada, the chief priest, and said to him, why haven't you required the Levites to bring in from Judah and Jerusalem the tax imposed by Moses, the servant of the Lord, and by the assembly of Israel for the tent of the covenant law? Now the sons of that wicked woman, Athaliah, had broken into the temple of God and had used even its sacred objects for the balls. At the king's command, a chest was made and placed outside at the gate of the temple of the Lord. A proclamation was then issued in Judah and Jerusalem that they should bring to the Lord the tax that Moses, the servant of God, had required of Israel in the wilderness. All the officials and all the people brought their contributions gladly, dropping them into the chest until it was full. Whenever the chest was brought in by the Levites, the king's officials, and they saw that there was a large amount of money, the royal secretary and the officer of the chief priest would come and empty the chest and carry it back to its place. They did this regularly and collected a great amount of money. The king and Jehoiada gave it to those who carried out the work required for the temple of the Lord. They hired masons and carpenters to restore the Lord's temple and also workers in iron and bronze to repair the temple. The men in charge of the work were diligent and the repairs progressed under them. They rebuilt the Temple of the Lord according to its original design and reinforced it. When they had finished, they brought the rest of the money to the king in Jehoiada, and with it were made articles for the Lord's temple, articles for the service and for the burnt offerings, and also dishes and other objects of gold and silver. As long as Jehoiada lived, burnt offerings were presented continually in the temple of the Lord. Now Jehoiada was old and full of years, and he died at the age of 130. He was buried with the kings in the city of David because of the good he had done in Israel for God and for the temple. After the death of Jehoiada, the officials of Judah came and paid homage to the king, and he listened to them. They abandoned the temple of the Lord and the God of their ancestors and worshipped Asherah poles and idols. Because of their guilt, God's anger came on Judah and Jerusalem. Though the Lord sent prophets to the people to bring them back to him, and though they testified against them, they would not listen. Then the Spirit of God came on Zechariah, son of Jehoiada, the priest, He stood before the people and said, this is what the Lord says. Why do you disobey the Lord's commands? You will not prosper because you have forsaken the Lord. He has forsaken you. But they plotted against him and by order of the king, they stoned him to death in the courtyard of the Lord's temple. King Joash did not remember the kindness Zechariah's father Jehoiada had shown him, but killed his son, who as he lay dying said, may the Lord see this and call you to account. At the turn of the year, the army of Aram marched against Joash. It invaded Judah and Jerusalem and killed all the leaders of the people. They sent all the plunder to their king in Damascus. Though the Aramean army had come with only a few men, the Lord delivered into their hands a much larger army. Because Judah had forsaken the Lord, the God of their ancestors, judgment was executed on Joash. When the Armenians withdrew, they left Joash severely wounded. His officials conspired against him for murdering the son of Jehoiada the priest, and they killed him in his bed. So he died and was buried in the city of David, but not in the tombs of the kings. Those who conspired against him were Zabad, son of Shemaiah, an Ammonite woman, and Jehozabad, son of Shimrith, a Moabite woman. The account of his sons, the many prophecies about him, and the record of the restoration of the temple of God are written in the annotations on the book of the kings. And Amaziah, his son, succeeded him as king. So... There's sort of two stories in here, uh, before and after, and we've seen them both before. We've seen the young king who comes to the throne and sets his heart on God and, and wants to, to fix things, and we've seen Hezekiah do that, get rid of the idols, celebrate the Passover. We've seen that part of the story before, and we've seen the other part as well, bad kings, who turn away from God and bring God's wrath on the people and do harm. We've seen both of those parts of the story before. What we haven't seen is what I think the author of Chronicles is emphasizing in this story, which is that at each turn, each part of this story hinges on who Jehoiada is listening to. Who is it that's talking to him and that he's paying attention to? And obviously, the first obvious person that he's paying attention to is the chief priest, the high priest, Jehoiada, again, if you go back and read through these earlier chapters, he owes his life to Jehoiada. Jehoiada kept him hidden when his crazy grandmother was trying to slaughter everyone in his family. Jehoiada is the one who put him back on the throne. If you look back at chapter 23, Jehoiada gets the Levites together and they basically kick out his grandmother who has taken over the country. And it says in verse 11, Jehoiada and his sons brought out the king's son. They put the crown on him. They presented him with a copy of the covenant and proclaimed him king. This kid is only king because Jehoiada believed in him and made him the king again because he is the rightful king. He is the son. He's the only living son of the previous king and we read over and over again about how Jehoiada influenced him about how he listened to Jehoiada all the good things that happened I mean Jehoiada's name probably shows up in the first half of this book as many times as Joash's does we're told in verse 2 Joash did what was right in the eyes of the Lord all the years of Jehoiada the priest verse 3 Jehoiada chose two wives for him and he had sons and daughters like this guy's even listening to the high priest about who he should marry Kings don't have to listen to other people on questions of who they marry, but he's listening to the high priest. When he tells the Levites to go and they don't go, he calls in Jehoiada and asks him, what's going on? Why? Why haven't you done this? We read later when he has the, the, the big chest and people are bringing in money, and it says in verse 12, the king and Jehoiada gave it to the workmen right? There they are right together. It says it again in verse 14, when the work is finished and there's money left over, the builders brought the rest of the money to the king and Jehoiada. He he is closely linked to the high priest who, who is his mentor. He's the guy speaking in to Joash's life. And we're told at the very beginning, as long as Jehoiada was alive, then all these good things were happening. That's the first person. That Joash, I'm going to affectionately refer to him as the kid, since he's seven years old when all this starts. That this kid is listening to, he's listening to his mentor Jehoiada, but there's another person he's listening to. Remember what I read to you back in verse 11 of the previous chapter. They put the crown on his head. They presented him with a copy of the covenant. Now that's the first five books of the Bible. Maybe the whole thing, maybe all of Genesis through Deuteronomy, maybe just literally the covenant part, the law, which is from about the middle of Exodus to the end of Leviticus. But he has at least part of the law of God. And notice the writer tells us that they gave that to him. Because look what happens. The very first story about him we get. Sometime later, Joash decides to restore the temple. Verse 4. Verse 5, he calls the priests and the Levites and says, Go to the towns of Judah and collect the money due annually from all Israel. Okay, honestly, show of hands. Who knows that in the Old Testament there is an annual tax that you must pay to, for the upkeep of the temple? Excellent. Four, five, I did not know that. <laughs> all right? I read the Old Testament all the way through every year. I have read it every year for 15 years. I had no clue. I was reading a commentary when the guy's like, "Oh, this is from Exodus 30." I'm like, "What? It is?" I thought he's just making it up, right? <laughs> yeah, there's a tax. Go send the people out and collect the tax. It, it's Exodus 30 moses commands i mean i should have known it from what he says in the next verse the tax imposed by moses the servant of the lord he knows it's one paragraph in one chapter of the old testament that's the only place it ever appears and he knows about it like this kid has been reading his bible they gave him a copy of the law When he became king, we don't know how many years later this is, but he's been reading it. He knows that this is required. It's interestingly enough, it's still required in the New Testament. There's this funny story about Jesus where Peter comes to Jesus about people are asking, Don't you pay the tax? And Jesus says, Look, Peter, we don't want to offend him. Just throw, you know, get your rod, go throw your line in the river. First fish you find, open its mouth, take out the coin. That'll be enough money to pay our tax. It's the temple tax. He's talking about this tax that you owed once a year. Everybody owed it for the upkeep of the temple. This kid knows that that's in the Bible. He's been reading the scriptures. And look what happens next. The Levites, they don't go out and do it. They're not collecting it. Something's going on here. So the king basically decides to go around them in verse eight. He has a chest placed out by the temple, and then it says in verse nine, a proclamation was issued in Judah and Jerusalem that they should bring to the Lord the tax that Moses, the servant of God, required. Okay, now I'm not a tax attorney, but I don't think this is how most countries deal with taxes. Big box out in front of the courthouse, hey, bring what you owe, drop it in, it's on you. Where did he get that idea? That's what Moses does in Exodus 35. There's a command that you must pay the tax. But five chapters later, Moses realizes he doesn't have nearly enough money to build the tabernacle. You know, they have the temple at this point, a fixed structure. In Moses' time, they're wandering around. So it's just a tent. It's literally a a giant tent. But it it has all the same functions. It has the altar and the incense and the ark, everything they need to worship God. And so Moses, and, and the language is the same. Moses issues a proclamation to everyone and says, hey, Whatever you want to give to build the tent, right? The tax, that's required. But whatever you want to give, come and bring it. Just bring it up here. And so it says, Joash issues a proclamation. Moses issues a proclamation. It says the people came willingly to Moses and gave a great amount of money. And it says the people came willingly and gave a great amount of money. It says they hired people to do the work, and Moses hires people to do the work. And there's money left over at the end that they bring back, and there's money left. Like, the two stories are really similar. Like, I think the writer of Chronicles is telling us that like this kid didn't just read the Bible and get the commands. Okay, there's this tax, we have to pay it. Like, he got this example from Moses. Like, oh, the Levites aren't doing it, we're not getting the tax in, what can I do? A few chapters later, Moses needs more money for the temple, for the tabernacle. What does he do? He just issues a proclamation and tells people, hey, come, bring, you know? If you just whatever you want. If you wanna be part of this, come bring it. And God moves in people, and they come. And it's happening here. People are voluntarily traveling to Jerusalem to pay this tax. This tax is tiny. Okay? But it looks like people are given a lot more than that. Like he's, I think he's read this story in Exodus and thought to himself, oh, that's what I'll do. I'll, I'll do what Moses did. I'll just call people to come and get whatever they want. I'll set up a box. And, and then they can. Like this kid is listening to his mentor, Jehoiada. He's listening to a godly man, and he's listening to the scriptures. He's reading the scriptures, and he's internalizing them. He knows what the commands are, and he's saying, yes, you must do this. And he knows what the stories are. And he's like, oh, I can. Th- that story works for me in this situation. He, he's doing both those things. He's listening to his mentor. He's listening to a godly man, and he's listening to the scriptures. And it's going great, Everything is going great. They are prospering. The country is at peace. Everything is going well. And then we get to verse 17. And, you know, my Bible, I'm sure if yours has headings, it's probably got some big heading that says, this is a break. Jehoiada dies in verse 15. He's buried in verse 16. In verse 17, after the death of Jehoiada, the officials of Judah came and paid homage to the king. Literally, they bowed down to him. They worshiped him. And he listened to them. He listened to these guys. He was listening to a godly man, to a priest, and to the scriptures. And now a bunch of guys have come and flattered him. Like they've literally bowed down, prostrated themselves before him. And he listens to them. And we don't know what they're saying, but we can take some pretty good guesses because they abandon the temple of the Lord and they worship God all sorts of other idols. And when God sends prophets, verse 19, he sends prophets to the people to bring them back, they would not listen. He was listening to godly advice, and now he's not. He's listening to flatterers. He's listening to people who've come to him and, and wor- you know, worshiped him, told him how wonderful and great he is, and then said something about Why are you you only worshiping one God? Shouldn't the king be setting the example? Shouldn't you be worshiping all the gods? Isn't this narrow of you? He's listening to these guys. And when God sends prophets to him, he won't listen to them. So much so that when the son of his mentor, I mean, probably a guy he's grown up with, comes to him and the Spirit of God and says, what are you doing? You are... this is going to go really bad. You have abandoned God. You're going to get what you ask for. If you abandon God, he's at some point finally going to say to you, okay, have it your way. And God does because he won't listen to Zechariah. By order of the king, they stoned him to death in the courtyard of the Lord's temple. Look at how far this kid has come. From, from listening to God and listening to wise counsel and prospering, now listening to fools, not listening to God, not listening to wise counsel, not listening to Scripture, and wow, it all collapses. A tiny country with a tiny army invades him, wipes him out, leaves him wounded. Verse 25, his officials conspired against him for murdering the son of Jehoiada the priest, and they killed him in his bed. Remember back in verse 17? Who was it that's paying homage to him? His officials. Like some group of these same guys is coming to him now, and, and he, he's gone too far even for them. The same people who told him how great he was and then pulled him away from truth, now they murder him because he's listened to the wrong people. You know, this is what we call narrative in Scripture. It's not commands. These are stories. We're reading stories of how God interacted with people throughout history. The commands, those you just have to do. Like, hey, everyone owes half a shekel once a year to pay for the upkeep of the temple. Okay, that that was a command for them. They had to do it. The stories give us examples. They give us ways that, like, we should be comparing ourselves. We should be looking at these things. They raise questions for us. And wow, like the question I ask myself, going into, we're in 2023, what does it mean for me to be more committed to Christ this year than last year? Who am I listening to? Who are you listening to? Are you listening to the right people? So the first one, obviously, are you listening to the scriptures? Are you reading the scriptures? Are you taking them in? I'm not talking about studying him. I'm not talking about hours. I'm talking about five, ten minutes a day, just reading a few chapters, but getting it into your heart and your mind. Are you listening to the Bible? Because this is how God has chosen to reveal himself to us. This is his choice. You can learn a lot about God from nature. You can learn a lot about God from all sorts of different ways. But the scriptures are how he has said this This is how you come to know me. This is how you understand me. This is how you hear from me. If you want to hear from God, you can. Anytime you want. You just open your Bible and read. Do you have a way that you are listening to the Bible? Have you ever heard that saying that that little things, small changes done consistently, yield big results? Wow, that is so true with Scripture. Just a little bit every day putting it in your heart and mind over time. I don't mean over a week or a month or maybe not even over a year, but over years, uh, wow, it will yield huge results. Who, who are you listening to? Who are you going to listen to in 2023? Are you listening to the scriptures? If you don't have a way, and many of you do, and, and blessings on you, if you have your own Bible plans and the own things you're doing, Great. If you don't, if you don't have any way that you regularly read through the scriptures, then on the table back there, right by the door, there's a couple different Bible reading plans printed out. One is three chapters a day, seven days a week. You'll read the whole Bible in a year. One is two chapters a day, five days a week. You won't read the whole Bible in the year, but you'll read a lot of it. You won't read all, you know, what is it, 27 chapters of of, uh, Leviticus, but you'll read enough to know what the law is, what the sacrifices were, why they're here. You won't read all 10 of Isaiah's proclamations against the Egyptians, but you'll read one so that you know what he was saying and why he's saying it. If you don't have a way you're studying scripture, just reading it a little bit every day, grab one of those on the back table. Go to our website. There's more. Heck, I mean, this is how I do it right? Bible Gateway has my Bible reading plan on it, and they've got a little link, you know, Bible Gateway plan today. That's my homepage. When I open up my phone, when I open up my web browser, that's what comes up. And I read the passages for that day. You can get it emailed to you. You can listen to it. It has never, ever in the history of the planet been easier to get scripture regularly into your heart and mind than today. Just got to do it. Little, little things, small changes, but done consistently over time. Oh, those will yield huge results. Now, I know, if you come here every week or you watch every week, right, you're getting one chapter of the Bible every week, right? There are 1,189 chapters in the Bible. So if I preach one a week and I never repeat myself and we never take a break, it will take you 23 years, to hear the Bible read to you in all those chapters. I don't think I'm going out on a limb to say that's really not gonna work well for you. You know, if you tell me that you're reading Stephen Covey's book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People and and you're going slow because you really wanna get it and I'm like, oh, you know, how how slow are you going? So it's gonna take me 23 years. I, I just don't think that's really gonna have a big impact for you. Just a little bit, every day. Who are you gonna listen to this year? Are you gonna listen to the scriptures? Because, wow, the Lord will speak to you through this. Ask people who do it regularly how often things come up in their life and they think, oh, that's like what I read yesterday. Oh, that's like that story from last week. Oh, God's Spirit loves God's Word. Jesus said the Spirit would remind us of all he said. Well, here it is. Put it in your brain, put it in your heart, and then the Spirit can remind you. Listen to the scriptures. If you're not listening to the scriptures this year, then make that one of the things you're going to do. And then the other question from Joe Ash is, of course, who are the people in your life that you're listening to? Do you have people like he had in the first half of his life, godly people that you listen to, that will give you counsel, that can encourage you, that can rebuke you, that that whatever needs to happen, are there people in your life that can talk to you, that, 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 that they're listening to scripture and they're listening to God. And okay, man, maybe it's not the mentor relationship of Jehoiada who's much older than Joash and has much more experience. But, but who are the people in your life who will give you godly counsel? Because the truth is that the church of Jesus Christ is littered with ex and former Christians. People who at one point in their life profess Christ said they were submitted to him, was following him, and now don't anymore, for, for whatever reasons. But you listen to their stories, and they are so similar. Because for so, so many, not all, but for so, so many people, they had a crisis in their life of some sort, and then they listened to the wrong people. So when I was in college, I had a, a dear, dear friend she was an RA, a resident assistant, on a, a floor of a woman's dorm. Um, and one of the girls on her floor was assaulted in the middle of the night on the floor in one of the commons room. Um, and she was racked with guilt by this, that somehow as the RA, she should have done something. Of course, there was nothing she should, could do. It was the middle of the night. There's a whole floor of people there. No one woke up. No one heard it. But she was racked with guilt. She never told any of her Christian friends about this. Never told another Christian about it. She went to the counseling center at our university. And the counseling center told her, oh, well, you have all this guilt because you're a Christian. Because Christianity is all about guilt. You've been raised in this Protestant guilt. And so, of course, you feel guilty about this. The solution for you to feel better is to chuck Christianity. So she did. And her friends, the people who love her, the Christians that she was involved with, we only found this out when she told us afterwards. Because she never came to talk to us beforehand. She listened to the wrong people. And just like Joash, she believed them. And she did what they said. And she walked away. She walked away from Christ. Because... Yeah, I mean, look, it's just causing me problems, right? This person told me so. It must be true. Who who in your life can give you godly wisdom? Because this is not a new problem, and it does not only appear in the life of Joas. 1 Corinthians. Probably the most famous chapter in the book of 1 Corinthians is chapter 15. It's the one where like half of it is in Handel's Messiah. Death, where is thy sting? It's this whole long exposition where Paul's talking about the resurrection. What that's going to be like. Why that's so important. The first third of it or so is Paul answering these objections. Because there's people in the church at Corinth who are saying the same thing people now say. Jesus didn't really come back from the dead, you know. That's just a story we tell. I mean, he didn't really rise up. It's his ideas that matter. It's the example he set for us. They didn't really see Jesus. It's just that they, they, they so took in his teaching that they felt like he was still speaking to them after he was dead. You will hear that same nonsense in churches all over the place, and it was going on in 50 A.D., and Paul is apoplectic. That, that is complete and utter hogwash. And he just goes off for, you know, paragraph to paragraph. Of how can you possibly believe that? Yes, it matters. It is, not, it is not just that Jesus is an example. He really died and paid for our sins. He really came back from the dead so that we won't stay dead either. It matters there's a famous line in there you may have heard where paul says if if we only believe in christianity in this life oh we are the most miserable of people on the planet everyone should pity us i want you to listen to how paul ends that section this whole huge diatribe about how important the resurrection is how it absolutely matters that jesus died and came back from the life This is his last couple sentences after he's gone through this whole thing about, how can you believe this? Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning. For there are some who are ignorant of God. I say this to your shame. Paul ends that whole thing about the importance of the resurrection, it seems to me, by saying, hey, you are listening to the wrong people. And don't be fooled. The reason there's people in the church saying, oh, Jesus didn't really come back from the dead, is because there's people outside the church saying, Jesus didn't really come back. You don't really believe that, do you? You don't really believe that they crucified a guy and he got up a couple days later. Oh, well, no, maybe I don't. It matters. Paul tells the Corinthians, it matters who you listen to. Don't deceive yourself, he says, Bad company corrupts good morals. He's he's quoting a Greek poet that they would know. And he says, and there's people who don't know God, and that's to your shame. Because when we engage the world, we are supposed to be bringing Christ to the world. But if we engage the world and they're taking Christ away from us, that is not the way it's supposed to work all these people. I think Paul's saying all these people that you're talking to, you're listening to them. They're not listening to you. What are you doing? Wake up. Come to your senses. Paul says, it matters who you listen to. So who are you going to listen to in 2023? And again, I'm not telling you, oh, you need to stop having any non-Christian friends. No, absolutely. Have non-Christian friends. Absolutely. Be involved in the world and engage that Be disciples, make disciples. That is absolutely what you should be doing. But if you have people in your life that you're listening to, and they're pulling you away from Christ, you need to rethink that relationship. I'm not saying you got to end it, although maybe you do. But you need to rethink it. You need to stop listening to them, because it matters who you listen to. And so we have this story in Chronicles. When he listens to the right people, when he listens to the scriptures and God, when he listens to a godly man, everything prospers. And when people flatter him and he stops, everything collapses. It so, so matters. Who who are you going to listen to this year? So I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to do the same thing I do every time. I'm going to ask God's Spirit to speak to you. are there people you're listening to that you're like, yeah, I got to stop that. I got to stop listening to them. They are not helping me. They are pulling me away from Christ. Do you need to add some people, right? Maybe you don't need to change anything, but you need to add some godly people. You need to get involved in a small group or a discipleship group. You need to get somebody and say, hey, could we go out to lunch, you know, once every couple of weeks? I'd just like to talk to you about some stuff. Maybe you need to get rid of something. Maybe you need to add something. Maybe you need to start reading your Bible, I'm just going to ask God's spirit. It's his, We are all his servants. He decides. So I'm going to ask him to tell you. Is there anything he wants you to do? Any way he wants you to change who you're going to listen to this year so that you follow closer after him? And as I always say, if he says anything to you, say yes. Everything he says is good. Everything he says is for your good. So let's pray. Ah, oh, Jesus, thank you. I mean, thank you for, for these stories, for recording these things. I, I can't imagine jo- Joash is excited to, to have all of his sin paraded in front of us. But you are kind to remind us of these things. You are kind to show us how easy this can happen. You are generous to, to put these stories in, to tell us the truth. That that, that a man who was good and godly for for some odd period of time in his life started listening to the wrong people and completely went off the rails. We need to know that. We need to guard against it in our own hearts and minds. So I pray for us. I pray for me, for my brothers and sisters. Lord, in 2023, do you want us to change who we listen to? Do do we need to start reading the scriptures? Do, Do we need to stop listening to anyone? Do we need to start listening to anyone else? Who we listen to matters. Like Paul says, don't deceive yourself. Who you keep company with, you keep company with the wrong folks, your own morals are just going to go down the tube. Jesus, do we need to change anything about who we listen to this year? I pray, Holy Spirit, that as we take communion in the next few moments, as we sing again and worship you, uh, Holy Spirit, speak to us. Work in us. Talk to us. We want to obey you. We want to be more like you. We want to trust you. We want to listen to the right people. We we selfishly want lives like the first half of Joash's life, where everything prospered. We don't want the collapse that came at the end when he turned away. Jesus, speak to us by your spirit, by, by your word, by our friends, by however you decide. Speak to us. If there's any ways you want us to change who we listen to, this year that we might be more like you that we might be more obedient more committed that we might love you more than we have in the past to become even more your disciples jesus we pray all this in your name amen